then I found that especially for people that come to Israel to study Hebrew, especially if you are not Jewish, but you are expected to have a, a critical stance on Israel, to stand with Israel. And I remember widespread hostility in class to talking about the subjects, and especially if raised by non-Jewish school people like I was. My name is Giacomo Paoloni, I'm Italian, I have been living in the UK for the past 30 years, I studied Hebrew at SOAS and I also studied, uh, I did part of my Hebrew education at the Universitat Ben Gurion in Beersheba, Israel and also in, um, this is not an old fan in Tel Aviv. Shalom lekulam, shmi Giacomo, Anitalki, Anigabe London, Dipnei Arbashanin, Lamati Vrit Besoas. Ciao a tutti, mi chiamo Giacomo, sono italiano di Roma, ho studiato ebraico a Soas come studente di master, poi all'Università Ben Gurion di Beersheba in Israele e poi presso This Is Not a Nulpa, anche una scuola alternativa di Tel Aviv. E questa in breve è la mia storia con l'ebraico. Okay, as welcome Giacomo, Baruch Haba, welcome to the podcast Speak Hebrew, Love Israel. And we, in this podcast, we try to find out why different people decided to invest so much in Hebrew, in modern Hebrew. Yeah, while I have some students who are very beginners, most of them, you are a very, you almost speak uh, fluent Hebrew. Thank you. So how did that happen? An Italian from Rome, living in London for so many years now, uh, decided to, to do his master at SOAS, studying Hebrew and becoming so fluent. So yeah, the, the love story as it is with Hebrew, I think, is um, the fact that I grew up in Rome. I grew up in a non-Jewish family, but very much connected to the Jewish community through especially the work my father did. Uh, my father lived in Israel when I was a kid for like a short period in Haifa, and um, I once went to visit him. And um, probably that has had an influence on me just getting to know the Jewish people in Italy, the Jewish people in Rome, uh, the Jewish community in Rome is one of the most ancient. And also like the fact that over the years, especially during the last years I was in, living in Rome, probably um, I would say that uh, most of my friends, I mean many, if not most of my friends uh, were Jewish. And um, to some extent, I think that was a bit of an introduction. I wouldn't say that back then they introduced me to the Hebrew language because obviously um, it would be a long stretch to say that, but I say that that sort of back, I mean, that sort of personal background of sort of friendly relationship to the Jewish people has influenced me. And, and the Jewish why. people who were your friends, the one you were in contact with, what can you tell us about them? Were, in what way were they Jewish? In what way were they different from other just non-Jewish Italian friends you had? 
I think, first of all, but for the particular story of the Jewish community in Italy, uh, I met many of them through my sort of activism. They were much more sensitive and sensible, I would also say, about the very charged politics uh, of uh, the Italian state and especially about racism. So they were very good teachers teaching me about and what real and true anti-racism is. As a personal thing, um, the Jewish community in Rome, it's uh, very well rooted, especially uh, it's it's basically has always been part of the social fabric of our city. I mean, it is said that the dialect the Jewish community speaks in Rome is the true uh, Roman dialect. So I think uh, part of the influence was political and to some extent they differed. They stood out from the rest of the people that I used to hang out with. On the other hand, I would also think it was a cultural thing that just made me curious because I think it still is a very important part of Rome's social fabric, the Jewish community. And uh, to get to know more, I mean, the more I get to know even now and the more I feel connected to what my hometown is. What do we know? What do we know about Jewish community in Rome and in Italy generally? I mean, okay. we, we know generally, me from working in peace activism in Jewish communities, that the European Jewish communities are quite small, of course, comparing to the big uh, diaspora in the United States, uh, but uh, they are also considered to be very conservative very pro-Israeli government. Um, okay, so the Jewish community in Italy, compared to other communities uh, around Europe, it's quite small. It's about 20,000 to 30,000 members. I mean, depends on who does the counting. And it's also very orthodox in terms of the rituals. Um, I don't think that has a particular influence on politics, even because most of, I mean, most of my friends are actually secular Jews, although compared to, you know, many secular Jews in this country that will go to a, a more progressive, uh, will choose a more progressive ritual such as reform of, or uh, Mazot. In this country, will, the UK, you're In this country, yes. In this country, mm -hmm. the UK, I would think that uh, the way they observe, for instance, Shabbat when they do observe it or like Jewish festivities is much more orthodox. Um, but in terms of the politics, I think uh, that... Um, the Italian Jewish community is divided along, uh, from what I can see, um, along mainly ethnic lines, especially given the influx of the Libyan Jewish community back in the 60s. Uh, and um, also it is charged on generational lines, just as uh, here in the UK, we're seeing more and more voices that are uh, critical of the Israeli government. Although uh, the bond between the Italian Jewish community and Israel remains very strong, and I think it's partly due to political reasons. Uh, the Italian Jewish community has suffered a great deal from the Holocaust, and uh, it has also suffered a great deal from uh, tokenization of Jewish identity during the post-war period uh, from both the left and the right in so, our country. So history-wise of the Jewish community in Italy, or specifically in Rome, you mentioned your friends were Libyans. What made Libyan Jews immigrate to Rome uh, in the 60s? Um, the reason why Libyan Jews came to Italy was that during colonialism, so it, uh, Libya was an Italian colony, and the Jews had, uh, just like in other French colonies, had a special status within the um, within the Italian colonial administration. Uh, what is this special status? They were citizens, as far as I'm aware, but that I'm not certain. So okay. I hope we're not... I mean, like, the thing is that most Libyan Jews spoke Italian. Um, I remember once looking at a ketubah 
that was translated both it was in Arabic, Hebrew and Italian. Uh, most Libyan Jews spoke Italian, so obviously Italy was the first country where, they, where they would go. It was obviously Italy and Israel. There is that relationship between the Libyan Jewish community and Italy in general, although it's a very unex underexplored topic and I mean, it's very much under-researched, just as any other topic that is connected to the Italian colonial heritage. Interesting. So, so they were they were Libyans. They spoke Arabic, but they also yeah. spoke Italian because they were more connected uh, for some reasons. Yeah, the, for some reasons to the colonial administration. Yeah, let us not forget that that is not because of uh, their decision. That was because of the decision of colonial powers to segment local communities along ethnic lines. So yeah. putting, you know, Jews against Muslims is yeah, nothing yeah, which yeah, Italy yeah, was yeah, different yeah, from yeah, other yeah, countries. Yeah, yeah, a bit like, uh, you know, Jews against uh, Christian Arabs, against Muslim Palestinian Arabs, etc. Uh, yes, yeah, we know pretty that much story along those very lines. well. Yeah, yeah. but... Um, It reminded me of something. I don't know if you can see the, the parallels, and I really don't know when it's a history that is worth looking at closer. But, you know, it's a little bit... If you think about, you know, Jews who just lived in Palestine and spoke Arab and they lived with their neighbors in Hebron, for example. They just lived there yeah. because it was a holy city. And when the Zionists came and, you know, it gained more power and there were more immigrants uh, coming from Europe, then those Arab Jews had to decide whether they keep loyalty to their Arab neighbors or should they go with the Zionists and prefer to be aligned with their Jewish brothers who came from Europe with whom they didn't have even a language and culture in common, but the religion. Yeah, there is a, there is a similarity about the fact that, uh, you know, when it comes about the story of Jews in Europe and the story of Jews in the Ottoman Empire, I think there are striking similarities, but also striking differences, such mm -hmm. as the fact that, um, you know, Jews in the Ottoman Empire, they enjoy the so-called dimmi status, which... You know, they were citizens, they were subjects of the Ottoman Empire, but they still had um, a status which actually prevented them from accessing uh, government jobs, uh, from being full members of the society, and that was all across the Ottoman Empire. Mm -hmm. And similarly, Jews in Europe, for very long, they were kept in ghettos, and not until the Haskalah, so the Jewish, yeah, the Jewish Enlightenment, they sort of uh, were excluded from even cultural and social life outside of their ghettos. Um, and I think uh, the, the reason why, for instance, Jews in Palestine were, depends on the point of view, but they were brought basically to side with their Jewish brethren from Europe coming to Palestine through the Zionist enterprise. You know, in both cases, the status of this community, both in the East and the West, it brought about, as, you know, the Jewish question. And so about how the Jews can organize as an independent political unit in order to promote their own rights, and not just mm -hmm. in that land, but also across the world. Because the reason why I think today many communities have filled this very deep bond with Israel, even though they might be critical, I think yeah. it's linked to this question. I mean, uh, you mentioned the word ghetto in, in Europe. And as far as I remember, the ghetto was actually introduced or started in Italy. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, once it was used as a dumpster, I mean, like uh, the ancient era of the ghetto was used as a dumpster by uh, the several, you know, rulers of Rome. Every Sunday they had the, 
uh, during the years of, of the Stato Pontificio, of the papal state, they had a priest coming and preaching for Jews to come to Christianity. And even after Italian independence were actually, unfortunately, there has still been stories of discrimination towards Jewish people. There is the story of... Is, is, this, is this ghetto, was it forced upon them or was it something that they choose? You know, even if you go today... Stamford Hill can be a type of a ghetto. It's not excluded only for Jews, but, you know, Orthodox Jews tend to live in their more segregated community everywhere. Well, I mean, I think that depends. The ghetto originally, the confined area was forced on them. I think the reason why, I mean, especially like the, the history of the Rome's Jewish ghetto is very interesting because up until the 90s, uh, you know, the final years of the 20th century, uh, and after the Second World War, many Jewish people had actually fled the ghetto in Rome. They went to live in other parts of the city. And actually, this Jewish revival in the Roman ghetto is something very recent. But mm-hmm. initially, so the geographical unit was forced upon them. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a free choice to live. Mm-hmm. You say the Italian Jews played a significant part during uh, the Italian independence. Yes. Also something I remember one uh, Italian Jew telling me uh, that, I quote, the Roman Jewish community uh, is so influenced to the extent that they can decide who will be the next mayor. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> all right. What I don't do know, about, about, I don't know about the fault lines of the politics of the Jewish community in Italy according to town. I can tell you this. I don't think it has the power to choose the mayor. I think that's a different story, and that's that the Jewish community in general, and, and that's the same story in England and the US, has organized a very coherent set of structures, which actually, when dealing with institutions, they represent a united voice. And so politicians from all sides of the spectrum, they have to listen to the Jewish community. They know for a fact they have to listen to the Jewish community and they have to listen to their concerns. So just to give you an example, back in 2008, uh, it is said that uh, the then president of the Roman Jewish community, Riccardo Pacifici, that this political influence brought Roman Jews to vote for a far-right mayor, uh, Gianni Alemanno, who was the mayor from, um, I mean, once he was the activist of the Italian post-fascist party, the Italian social movement, and then uh, has become a more moderate politician. Do you see uh, the Jewish community considered to be right-wing? Because, you know, there's a paradox here. Jewish communities uh, in the diaspora, we are a minority, right? Uh, yes. And therefore, you know, support other minorities, etc. But on the other hand, there's this aspect of support to the Israeli government, which collaborates with the most right-wing and also anti-Semitic governments, especially in Eastern Europe, so Poland, Hungary. First of all, how do you think this dissonance is solved, if at all? And second, what, what do people see Jews as? Do they see them as collaborators of Benjamin Netanyahu, or they see them as what? What do okay. you think? Okay, first of all, yes, I think there is dissonance in terms of probably, especially the the, the establishment of the Jewish community, but especially about the bulk of its sort of older members that probably have more progressive leanings. I mean, it is proven they actually are likely to vote for more progressive candidates, but when it comes about Israel, they are entrenched in a position, so they will find it tolerable to vote for a politician with a 
you know, with a voting record that goes explicitly for Palestinian rights. Although in Italy, the conversation about Israel-Palestine, it's very, it's not as, you know, it's not as present as in the UK or in the US now. I mean, I see, for instance, you know, today with Why the primaries in Michigan. I think because Italy is a country which is very inward looking. Mm-hmm. Basically, as a country, is a country where foreign policy, when discussed, is always discussed through the prism of Italian specialists, of Italian diplomats, uh, very little input from uh, Italian researchers abroad, but also foreign academics uh, is uh, given uh, in discussions about foreign policy. And I think that has a, the, an influence over the years on the Israel-Palestine debate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's to answer the first question. The second question about if people see Jews as stooges for Netanyahu's government. Unfortunately, anti-Semitism in Italy is on the rise. And uh, while on the right, it is on the rise as such as hostility towards the Jews. On the left, there is suspicion. There is widespread suspicion and there is a widespread, uh, I think, toxic uh, perception of Jews as uh, not really people, you know, sometimes uh, as even disloyal to Italy, which is something very painful because just to give you an example about this sort of left-wing anti-Semitism, back in 2014, every 25th of April in Italy, we have celebrations marking uh, uh, the end of our resistance against Nazi Germany and their fascist collaborators. And in Rome, there was, um, back in 2014, there was a big scaffold between the, the Jewish bloc of, of this long march that takes place and some Palestinian rights supporters. And uh, it was very gross. And then I saw people on Facebook attacking the Jewish community and saying, are you more loyal to Italy or to Israel? And um, I think that's painful. And uh, over the years, it has also, this has also motivated me to study Hebrew, to understand more about Israel. Not because I believe that by extension, then I can become friends of the Jews. But just because I want to understand a, a country which, uh, for the role it plays for some people, it, is, it has become important, it has become to influence uh, a part of Western culture. Um, in what so way? Say. Well, I mean, like, uh, in the way in which, uh, you know, people, uh, for instance, you know, people on the right see Israel as a uh, bastion defending Western civilization. Uh, people on the left define Israel as a colonialist power. And I think, um, actually, when one goes to Israel, one can say that neither, neither of them is true. I mean, Israel is a country which, uh, I mean, was uh, like every other nation state in Europe, it has established itself with violence on other people, in that case, the Palestinians. But that doesn't mean, I mean, that Israeli culture in general, it's more... Western Eastern Israeli culture, for instance, and because I'm more interested about the history of ideas and how they and how ideas develop. And I think that actually Israeli culture, it's a is a culture that like it's a society, it's a culture that has problems like um, societies and cultures in in the Mediterranean part of Europe. So that is struggling between a mixed heritage and uh, more nativistic, nationalistic tendencies. How much time did you spend in Israel uh, and what was it like? I mean, you did learn about it, you heard about it by your uh, Jewish-Italian friends or when you learned Hebrew at SOAS. Well, I mean, um, when, I st- when I did my course at Ben-Gurion University in Beersheba, um, I had been to Israel several times by then, over, over the years before then. So I had been very often to Israel. So the encounter was, especially with the Israeli university system, it, it was a bit of a shock 
Then I found that especially for people that come to Israel to study Hebrew, especially if you are not Jewish, but you are expected to have a, a critical stance on Israel, to stand with Israel, um, the Israeli really? friends you make. Yes, I mean, Why? I found that in Beersheba. In, um, in how, what did they tell you? Well, I mean, I got that feeling, for instance, uh, by the fact that, uh, you know, when I brought up conversations about, you know, you know, even the first times I studied English, so uh, as a second language, I would have conversations first in the US and then in Italy about what was going on in the US and what was going on, I don't know, in France when I studied French. Um, whereas in Israel, I found out the first few days of Ulpan that while, I mean, my teacher was amazing, basically, she has had a lot of influence the way I, I learn Hebrew now. But basically, I found out that even talking not just about the, I mean, let alone the occupation, let alone the fact that, uh, for instance, that the university, uh, so, uh, you know, the university administration advising us on a particular week not to go to Judea and Samaria, mm -hmm. uh, so the West Bank, mm -hmm. uh, the occupied territories. But like the teacher basically being very, you know, hostile, even discussing things that were going on at the moment. At the moment, there was the big... Uh, demonstrations going on in Tel Aviv to support uh, the refugees' right to stay in Israel and not to be deported back to third countries in Africa. And yeah. I remember widespread hostility in class to talking about the subjects and especially wow. raised by, by non-Jewish uh, people like I was. Yeah. So, and, and did you try to fight that back or did you comply with that? So my stance was to keep speaking the subjects in a more diplomatic way. So to say, because I want to understand about the country, so I want to know about all points of view, that was at least my approach in class, and that has worked, because the teacher was also, you know, by the end of the Ulpan, the teacher was also welcoming the fact that I put those conversations forward. We were actually, I remember we watched a very charged Israeli old movies. There was a movie we watched on the last day of Ulpan about a group of Israeli leftists uh, at the end of the 60s and why some of them didn't want to serve in the army. So actually, mm. I had an impact by using a more diplomatic approach. And then uh, <laughs> what I did after then was to uh, join This Is Not An Ulpan in Tel Aviv uh, because uh, I heard of... You and know, what was that like? Yes. It was, and it still is, because I'm still in touch with them. It is a wonderful experience. They gave me so much inspiration in learning Hebrew and uh, also understanding... Uh, and also even enjoying Hebrew culture, so Hebrew literature more than I used to do. Because back then it was just uh, watching Netflix series uh, in uh, Hebrew, and now it's also reading books in Hebrew. That's great. We had Zain, uh, the first episode of this podcast, who also oh, yeah. studied Hebrew at SOAS, University of London. It stands for the School of Oriental, uh, Oriental and African and Studies. And that originally, uh, this university used to train a... Colonial that, civil servants, yes. Exactly. <laughs> I'm very well aware of that. <laughs> yeah, it, so today it's doing something quite different, no? Yeah. yeah. During lockdown, I was... Uh, and that's related to your year abroad program at Ben Gurion University, which is uh, part of the SOAS Hebrew program. So I remember during lockdown being in an outside day about Palestine where some scholars like uh, Yair Wallach or Hagar Kotef and students just came to speak, give some, uh, you know, lectures outside, you know. And I remember one of the activists of the BDS campaign, he is actually happens to be a British Jew, speaking to Yair, who is the director of the Israel program, And he was trying to convince him 
to stop the year or the half year in Israel because, you know, because we should boycott, according to him, Israeli uh, institutions because they get state funding and therefore they comply with the occupation. And this, this year they, uh, they decided to change it to Haifa University. That was such a weird conversation. I mean, very legitimate one, but... Obviously, Yair was very against, you know, stopping this program because of uh, Israel's politics. What do you think? Uh, well, I mean, it's a very complex subject. From being a very, very much an opponent of BDS, uh, I have come to a place in which still I don't accept many of its tactics, but I do understand why it exists. And so I would understand why uh, Palestinian students at SOAS, for instance, would feel uncomfortable about Uh, so as having exchange programs with Israeli universities. The thing is this, you know, the Israeli academic world in particular, it's very, it's very complex. And actually, in many ways, it is leading the resistance to uh, the, um, you know, the spiral, which is leading the country to a more authoritarian and uh, right-wing regime. So to be honest, I think that the exchange with Israeli cultural world and the Israeli academic world in particular, I think, who would help uh, Israel to save itself from itself. It would help Israelis with uh, progressive credentials to actually, uh, you know, to get international support. And actually, mm. I think... Which, is, which of... is one of the arguments against uh, academic boycott. So some people yes. would support cultural or, or economic boycott, but not academic boycott for that reason. I am absolutely against academic boycott for that reason, because uh, I don't think uh, I don't think the shutting out Israeli academics is a is a good is a good way to oppose the occupation. That's my point of view, though. No. So, so Giacomo, let's move to Hebrew. OK, Sababa, Beseder. יופי, אז בדקות, בחמש דקות שיש לנו, אני גם רוצה שישמעו איזה עברית מדהימה יש לך. כן, מדהימה. איך אתה רוצה לבדוק את זה? אני כבר, אני שומע אותך וזה כבר נשמע מדהים. אז ג'קומו, אז עכשיו זה רק לישראלים, זה רק לדוברי עברית. רק לישראלים. אז איזה מסר אתה רוצה לתת? לישראלים ששומעים אותך עכשיו. מה, מה אתה רוצה שאלה לומר? שאלה טובה. לך על זה. מה שאני רוצה לומר, אוקיי, קודם כל, בוא באיטליה. אוקיי, אני צועק. אני רוצה שישראלים, הישראלים ששומעים אותנו, אני רוצה שהם ידעו שיש יש עולם מלא. של איטלקים, של אנגלים, של אנשים כמוני, חוץ מהעולם יהודי וחוץ מהעולם ישראלים שרוצים לדעת יותר על התרבות שלכם, על, ה, על המדינה שלכם, על הבי, גם על הבעיות שלכם. כאילו, מה שאני חשבתי, כן, הפעמים האחרונות שבאתי בארץ, אני ראיתי שיש הרבה ישראלים שקצת מפחדים מה שקורה בעולם, מה שהעולם... חושב על ישראל. אני, ברור, כל העולם אני, נגדנו. ואני רוצה שהם ידעו שזה לא ככה. מה שרציתי להגיד לכם, שיש עולם מלא שלא שונא אתכם. יש עולם מלא שרק רוצה לדעת יותר, שאולי גם צריך לדעת יותר על התרבות כן. שלכם. 
אני חושב שהאירופים צריכים לדעת שגם בארץ יש, יש ישראלים שלא לא רק הם מתנגדים לכיבוש אלא גם הם מתנגדים לגזענות, הם מתנגדים ל... אני ראיתי בעיניי את כל המאבק נגד לגירוש של פליטים ומבקשי בקלט בתל אביב, כן, וראיתי זה באמת מעודד. מיני... זה החלק בישראל שמעודד אותנו שקיים. אז ג'קומו, so I learned so much about the Jewish communities in Italy and in Rome specifically, and it was great to know why, what made you dedicate so much of your time and effort and life Uh, to learn my language and uh, my culture. So I'm very happy you do, and I wish I would be able to do the same with Italian one day. I will uh, try to help you in case, and uh, I hope... Uh, what Inshallah. I will... You know what, let's yeah. start by you preparing me some good pizza or pasta. I think that would be a great entrance to your culture. Uh, when the pandemic is over, when restrictions uh, will be lifted, I'll be very happy to invite you over for dinner. Inshallah, Inshallah. איך אבא שלי אומר? איך אומרים בעברית? אינשאללה.